This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. The recent indictments of 13 Russian nationals confirmed in the minds of the Department of Justice that they put together a campaign to sow doubt in the minds of millions of Americans heading into the presidential election in 2016. The report by that office said that social media was used as a tool to tear down the U.S. culture, which actually started several years ago. So now the question is, what happens next? William Burke White is director of the Perry World House, as well as a law professor here at the University of Pennsylvania. He joins me in studio and on the phone with us, Jennifer Goldbeck, director of the Social Intelligence Lab at the University of Maryland. Bill, as always, great seeing you. Thanks good, for coming good in. Good to be here. Jen, great to have you with us again. Glad to be here. Uh, Let's start on the legal side, Bill, uh, because these announcements of these 13 individuals, when this was announced, I talked with a variety of people, they basically felt like while this is great to announce these these names and and put it forward, uh, they really don't have a feeling that anything will realistically come out of it because we don't expect to see any kind of extradition coming out of Russia on these people. Yeah, this is it's a critically important indictment, but it's not important in the sense that these 13 people are going to uh, be actually prosecuted in the United States. There's no extradition treaty with Russia, yeah. and I don't think anyone on this list is going to go on vacation in Miami this winter. Uh, <laughs> But what it does do is two critically important things. First, it puts out a very clear narrative in legal form of what uh, at least a piece of of the Russian meddling operation actually looked like. And it gives the special counsel something to potentially, and I underscore the word potentially, link the Trump campaign to. If they're trying to show that there was collusion, there needs to be collusion with something. And this gives us that something. That being said, though, there's also been a conversation about uh influence not necessarily in the political side i think but from other locations china being one of them so i mean if this is coming forward as a legal precedent and and making the statement about russia could we at some point see something like that with china as well yes yeah, so one has to understand that the special counsel doesn't have a lot of tools to share the findings of his investigation his tool right. is a legal one which is right. you put forward an indictment and so when i read this document i think he is in part trying to show the world how 80 people sitting in st petersburg were able to in fact engage all across the United States and cause you know real physical havoc on the ground at riots and protests and marches. Um, sure, you might be able to see other countries if you if the Russians can do this with eighty people, so could the Chinese. There's no yeah. evidence in this of that, um, but this is a pretty easy recipe for some other country to pick up and use. Well, Jen, from the from your side of it, from the social media side of it, obviously there are uh, a, a lot of concerns in terms of. Uh, how this came about. And one I think of the interesting ones is in terms of the, these posts that were bought, uh, we're talking about posts that were as cheap as what, like a couple of dollars for the most part. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so they had people professionally writing this content, um, just churning out, you know, hundreds of blog posts and pages and social media posts and fake accounts. But yeah, once you have that up, right, once you have a real person write some content, you can buy likes and shares and retweets and you can buy people responding to come to your events to make them look more popular. And it is, you know, I do, I've done this in my research because I've studied these purchased likes and retweets. And it is, you know, one or two dollars for 500 followers or 500 likes. It's really cheap. And so you can look like you've had this huge impact that you know, makes you look more legitimate because there's a lot of people engaging with you for a really small amount of money. Well, then, from the from the aspect of, of Facebook on a day-to-day basis and, and Instagram and Twitter, this is something that we have discussed with you in the past in terms of just kind of the I won't necessarily say barriers, but the 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 level of watchfulness that these companies need to have on a lot of this content right now. Yeah, it's tricky in a lot of different ways. Um, if we kind of stick with the the purchase likes and then move towards the content, um, you know, detecting what's a fake like, like what's a bot that's doing that. That's a research problem. You know, that people in universities are working on right now. Certainly, also people in all the social media companies. But it's not a simple problem where you just deploy an existing tool. It's tricky, and they, of course, keep evading all of the methods that we come up with. But then, when it comes to content, right? How do you know it's fake content? That's even harder because. We're not talking here about other kinds of things we've talked about, like revenge porn, right, where it's like sort of straightforward to detect that, um, or, you know, illegal content. We're just talking about content that any American could have posted and it would have been okay. And how do you determine where that's coming from and how do you shut it down? That's a really hard problem um, and not something that's easy to automate. So if you're talking about someplace like Instagram where you're having millions of pictures posted in a really small amount of time, you can't review them by hand. And so it does become, uh, you know, a bigger operation to detect it than, uh, you know, simply deploying some tool or looking for some specific characteristics. So is it, I mean, obviously these companies have talked about you know, adding personnel to be watchful of this these types of postings. How how impactful can just adding people be to 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 watching this? I mean, certainly they do need to add humans to this, but I think the problem is not going to be so much you know, humans reading pages and then deciding is this good or not. There's going to have to be a, a much more complicated human effort within the companies to think about you know, who are the people that are going to do this? So, you know, in this case, it's Russia, but, you know, as Bill pointed out, this could be going on in China, this could be going on anywhere. Um, How do we know where to look, right? Who are we going to flag as suspicious? And I think that's going to require, you know, social scientists, political scientists, people who know the way that, say, intelligence agencies in other countries are likely to act against the U.S., and then start saying, all right, how would that manifest on social media, and who do we deploy this army of employees towards to start looking at what content we maybe should block. So how do you think, Bill, that the government starts to even evolve that even further? Because obviously they're doing a level of this, but it feels like maybe not enough. 
Right. So, well, you just asked how the government would do it. And I do think this has to start with the technology companies themselves, as well as outside uh, experts in the university community and elsewhere. Uh, No human being is going to be able to do this. We need to actually come up with uh, artificial intelligence, bots, essentially, that can police the bots, because otherwise you get into a scale problem where you just can't keep up with the volume. I think what the government can do first and foremost uh, is make sure the regulations are are there and correct that the corporations need to work within. Um, and then police criminal conduct, which transgresses. There will be certain conduct that may not be criminal, um, where corporations themselves will do it. The thing that struck me the most in this indictment, though, was, was where it gave us real evidence that the activities in cyberspace led to physical manifestations on the ground. Uh, right, people yeah. showing up at rallies, um, people buying credit, you know, using credit cards in, in the real world. And that's the other space where I think the government can engage when it actually gets into real world conduct um, that in many cases may be illegal. To a degree, it's like a puppeteer, you mm-hmm. know, kind of playing with the strings uh, of the puppet, in this case, the, the the American people, to get them to do things and they, actually, they may not would have. And they actually showed up at rallies that didn't exist and wondered why there was no one from, you know, whatever the home tech, whatever the organization in Texas was called. Uh, no one actually showed up from the organization because they're all sitting in St. Petersburg, yet uh, people showed up for the protest. And so uh, where we see movement into the real physical world, uh, I think it may be easier for the government to directly police. Well, one of the interesting things is... Is that and obviously there's a, a part of this, as you said, that uh, goes back to the Mueller investigation and how the current administration may link back into this. But this is also I- involved uh, Bernie Sanders, Jill Stein, uh, probably Hillary Clinton as well. I mean, th- there were it wasn't just one kind of angle that this took. This was a variety of different angles to basically have everybody playing off of each other. Yeah, and I think the Russian government started this to say, hey, can we? Uh, mess around with a U.S. election with few resources sitting in St. Petersburg. And at first, it wasn't obvious to them that they were going to support Trump. Um, They were looking mostly to cause disarray, a little havoc, and frankly, to test a new toolkit. Um, And early on, yes, it did. You know, they clearly didn't like Hillary, um, but it evolved over time to be a much more anti-Hillary, pro-Trump operation. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Joining me in studio, William Burke White of uh, the University of Pennsylvania, Jennifer Goldbeck of the University of Maryland. Again, the way for you to join in with your comments, either by phone, 844 844- Nine four two seven eight six six, or if you can't get your phone, send us a comment on Twitter at bizradio one eleven or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney twenty one. You mentioned Jen the overall spend here, which was relatively low when you think about the amount of impact that it possibly had. Um, I guess that's that's a point to bring up as well because Facebook had put out a, a notice, I guess last October, that said in terms of all of the spend. Uh, it was about a 50-50 breakdown in terms of before the election and after the election as well. Yeah, it's amazing the amount of impact that they were able to have for a relatively small amount of money. Now, we're talking about Russia here, right, where people are making real salaries. Like, we're not talking about hundreds of dollars. Um, you know, I think the Times reported that these uh, the people who were writing the content in St. Petersburg were making something like $1,400 a week. So it's not... No money, but if you compare that to like what we spend on intelligence agencies, on spies, like governments spend on that, um, it's a really small amount of money, and they were able to have this huge impact. Exactly. 
could exploit uh, the presence of social media, which is generally free, the really cheap ability to generate bots, to, uh, to buy likes, or, you know, bot farms that made their stuff look important. And then, you know, you look at Facebook. Jen, we're, Facebook. Ha- Jen, we're having a problem with your phone. We're going to try and reestablish you on a, on a new line and, and call you right back. Uh, William Burke White here in studio with me. Uh, let, so, let me pick up on what yeah. Jen was just uh, saying, which is, you know, yes, this was relatively cheap. It also, though, says, imagine what would happen if the Russians or the Chinese added a few zeros to the budget line for an operation like this. Yeah. Um, and in that's part of why I think when this started, it was really a test. It was a small scale. Let's put a couple million dollars into this and see what's doable. But imagine multiplying this um, by 10 or 100. And that's something that both the Russians and Chinese are capable of. I also don't know that this is the extent of the meddling. Um, This is what Mueller was able to provide clear um, documentation for and that he believes he can win a criminal case on. My guess is that the overall operation may have been larger, um, but he's not going to be able to include that in this unless he has the evidence to actually bring an indictment. So I I guess the question is now, uh, as you said, there is... There is no expectation that this has stopped and we're coming up on a midterm election and you still even have to look out towards the next presidential election in 2020 that this influence somehow, some way will continue coming out of Russia. And uh, perhaps beyond Russia, if I were any other country reading the indictment, I'd sit there and say, oh, this works pretty well. Let me try it, too. With Um, with really no repercussions. Yeah. Um, But this is truly the irresponsibility of the current administration. And I'm not you know, I don't know whether there was or wasn't collusion. What we do know was that the Russians interfered with our election. And this administration now has a responsibility to deal with that, both uh, in terms of building the cyber security um, to protect the election, uh, in terms of accepting and publicizing what happens so that average Americans know when they read their Facebook or Twitter, they should say, hey, is that a bot or is that a human being? Um, And then third, um, making sure that we bring proper consequences to Russia. Uh, You know, obviously that may not be a military response, but it needs to be a very firm political response. Uh, And we're not there at the moment. The intelligence agencies uh, have been making statements about wanting to to do more to push back. Um, But the administration itself um, is just ignoring or pretending it didn't happen. How much uh, of this you mentioned the the current administration, but how much of this in your mind is also a failure of government in general? Because you're talking about something that obviously impacted this past election, but also has had an influence, as was laid out uh, by uh, by Rod Rosenstein, that this has influence going back three or four years as well. So, you know, this is something that has kind of been building, yeah. it feels like. To, to what we saw in 2016. Uh, you know, look, I will totally agree that the Obama administration missed the ball on this as well. This yeah. is uh, a set of new technologies being deployed in new ways that change the game. And I don't know whether people in the intelligence agencies or elsewhere saw it coming and, and the Obama administration ignored it, but I don't think anyone thought that this, uh, this could have the kinds of consequences it did. And even I was shocked when I read the indictment and saw uh, how, you know, the Facebook post actually led to behavior by individuals. And that's the connection that for me was so striking. I just don't think um, government saw it coming and they should have. So, Jen, off of what we were just saying with obviously the midterm election coming up uh, in uh, in just a few months and then, of course, another presidential election in a couple of years time. What do the Facebooks and Twitters and Instagrams have to do better to be able to take out 
a, a lot of what we have seen in this and in the, these indictments brought forth. I don't think anybody expects all of it to be eradicated, but at least be able to handle it. So it is not the the impact doesn't have the impact that it seemingly did in 2016. Yeah, you know, they're in a really difficult position because if you look at Facebook's marketing materials for their advertising, they were basically saying ahead of the last election cycle, hey, we can help you target messages at specific types of people based on how they vote to tell them how to vote and to have a real impact. And then, hey, the Russians did that, and now we're all upset about it. But Facebook knew they could do this, right? They advertised that they could do this. And so what are they going to do in the next election cycle? They want campaigns spending money with them to advertise, to influence people. It's something that Facebook has built up their capabilities to do. But, of course, obviously now they want to avoid uh, these foreign countries spending money that way. So I think they're going to have to do a lot more due diligence about who they're sending or who they're selling ads to and for what. And if we come back to the point that Bill was just making about you know regulation and how does the government deal with this, uh, as we've talked about on the show before, these social media companies have generally been exempt from a lot of the laws around how other media companies have to deal with election-related ads. They have lobbied to be exempt from those laws. And then they also just kind of ignored how those laws might apply. Uh, I think that's something that they're, again, going to really have to rethink, even if you know, there's no new legislation passed that holds them accountable to that kind of legislation. I think they need to be thinking about who are the sources of these ads, who's paying for them, uh, is this something we want to do? And, of course, you know, I think beyond this conversation, but just to explain how complicated the problem is, it's not just a U.S. problem, right? This is something that they're going to have to start thinking of more globally because they are advertising all over the world and there's different laws all over the world. So their life is about to get a lot more complicated. And frankly, their life should get more complicated. Uh, it's been somewhat, I would say, an irresponsible business model um, when when you think about how it's been used here. Uh, you know, compare what you see if you watch a television political ad. At the end of the ad, it makes very clear who paid for the ad. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is uh, regulatory possibilities around, you know, much more transparency um, in, in, in the social media space. Um, but of course, it's very easy to fake who you are. And that's the other lesson of this indictment, how easy it was for the Russians to pick up a social security number, get a credit card, and pretend uh, that they were some American in the middle of Texas. And I think um, it will have to be the social media companies themselves that develop the technologies to really test and police who's paying for things. Um, A a TV ad's much more expensive. It's a much more complicated transaction. uh, And I think that has made it easier uh, for for regulation there. But both the government and the the social media companies are going to have to um, put a lot more transparency in place. And that uh, is not going to be ready by the November election. That's for sure. But, Jen, this goes back to a conversation we've had with you a couple of times and, and the fact of, of how do you really designate uh, social media companies? They want to be designated not as members of the media, but realistically, more and more, they are a member of the media. And, and seeming like maybe that part of this story is going to come to the head, come to a head in the next uh, next couple of years. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, They don't want to be considered part of the media. They just want to be considered tech companies. And, you know, this is a general Silicon Valley phenomenon. Uber doesn't want to be considered a transportation company, and Airbnb doesn't want to be considered a hotel company. They all just want to say, oh, no, we just provide a platform. But realistically... Uber is transportation, and Airbnb is hotels, and social media is media. Uh, And so that means that it comes with the expectations that we have for media, and maybe in some cases, you know, in certain parts of the platform for journalists. 
Um, it comes with some kind of regulation. And, you know, I agree uh, with what Bill just said, that it has been kind of irresponsible the way that the social media companies have dealt with this, uh, both because they have fought against being classified as something they clearly are. But also, you know, on one hand, I believe Facebook that they didn't really know how deep the Russians were into this last election, but they should have been paying attention. And I think they weren't. They just kind of naively allowed this to go through. Um, And that's going to be, you know, a big change in their business model to suddenly have to start thinking about who are these people, what kind of responsibilities do we have, because I think they see there's going to be more problems for them if they don't treat themselves that way, if they just keep allowing this to happen. But, yeah, there's so much change that's going to come with assuming the responsibility that they should assume based on the role that they're playing in society. Well, in your mind, how have they dealt with it? How have the Facebooks up until now dealt with this issue? Seemingly not well. We understand that part of it. But what's the process that they go through? And what's the what do you think are, are the changes in, in process that they are going to have to make in order understanding that, you know, we're talking about an election cycle that's that's rolling right now? Yeah, um, you know, the way that they have been dealing with it has been very reactive, right? So uh, we look at the fake news stories that were coming out around election time, before and after the 2016 election, and Facebook goes, oh, it wasn't really a problem. Oh, it probably didn't influence the election. And then we start getting reports out of what it was. The same thing with the Russians. Oh, you know, it maybe was a really small operation, and then now, you know, we're starting to see the scope of it coming out. So they'll come out with these statements like, oh, this wasn't really as big a deal as you're all making it out to be, and then the investigation continues, and it turns out, gosh, it was actually a really big deal. Um, So I think the right way for them to deal with this, you know, both right for society, but also right for them as a company who's going to start seeing real repercussions if they don't start treating this properly, um, is that they're going to have to do much more careful vetting of ads and promotion around uh, politically oriented content. Now, this may go beyond what, you know, government regulation would talk about where we're looking at, you know, ads for a specific candidate. I think Facebook would be wise to start thinking about anything that's like generally politically related to start policing, you know, what are the sources of that? Where is it being posted from? Maybe they want to change their own terms of service. So maybe, you know, I as an American wouldn't be allowed to place, say, Brexit style uh, or Brexit-related content in certain places. You know, I don't know if that's the right solution, but it's the kind of thing you want to start thinking about. Who do you want putting up content that can influence political processes in other countries? Um, I think they need to bring in a lot of lawyers and ethicists and social scientists to start thinking about that so they can get ahead of what some of these, what are frankly intelligence operations, are using their platform to do, and so they can prevent some of the repercussions that ultimately is going to bring them in front of the government here if they don't do something about it. Yeah, I want to come at this from the global politics side, though, which is that there's another way to stop this sort of behavior. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't also do all the things we've just heard about, but the United States government has to come out and say very publicly... This occurred. This will not be tolerated. We treat this as an attack on our democracy and yeah. our sovereignty, and there will be consequences. Um, and we're not hearing that right now. Uh, but I do think we have to have a deterrent effect as well as an internal policing process. Uh, and there's no deterrent if, if the U.S. government pretends that it didn't happen. Right. Uh, and so those two pieces, the internal regulation and the external political consequences, uh, have to come together. And realistically, when you're talking about another 
another midterm, you know, the midterm elections coming up in a few months. Any, it, it, you know, to put a level of deterrent in now is going to be a challenge to be able to have it ready in, in six months' time. Yeah, at the very least, though, we need to be out there saying any government that interferes with the 2018 political you know, cycle will face consequences. And we yeah. can determine what those consequences may be. Uh, but right now, if I'm a foreign government, I'm seeing this as a total green light to go ahead and, and uh, meddle. But the U.S. US government, obviously, o- over the history of its time, have made statements like that on various topics, whatever it may be in the past. So you, I agree with you in the fact that now is the time to say, look, if you want to you know, fiddle with our election cycle, whether it be sanctions, whatever it's going to be, you will feel some level of economic pain. Yeah, and there's this is a new kind of attack, so we don't quite know what the right response is. It's certainly not launching a missile strike at Moscow, um, yeah. but is it sanctions? Is it meddling back? Does Putin want to see his election meddled with? That's dangerous because it starts to sort of legitimate this sort of behavior, but we need to figure out what the right international consequences are to send very powerful signals and make sure there are real consequences. Jen? Yeah, I absolutely agree that that's been a huge problem, right? We look at the government response to this, and I'm not a political scientist, but just as a consumer of this who understands the social media side, to say, well, okay, there was, you know, the Russians didn't do anything. Oh, no, okay, they did something, but it didn't impact the election. Oh, we're not going to pass these sanctions. You know, it makes me look at this like, gosh, we are never going to see, you know, at least in the next couple of years, a proper government to re- response to this very serious situation. And so, you know, normally I am one who says, well, I'm not going to trust the internal regulation of the social media industry, and so let's look at what the government can do. And in this case, I'm left feeling a little bit hopeless on the government side because I don't see any of the, like, normal responses that we would have expected from any other administration. And so I look to, you know, basically what's the economic pressure that's going to fall onto the social media companies, and that is kind of my hope that maybe that'll be enough to push them to act in a way that is, you know, better for society and that at least is going to try to do something to stop this. But I agree, in an ideal world, we would have a really cooperative effect here where the social media companies would be doing their own internal monitoring of this, trying to stop it, and we would have an appropriate government response that would make it much harder to carry out. Bill, you mentioned the indictments. In fact, I think you printed off the, the actual copy of the indictments and, and, yeah. and how they move forward. Is there anything in there that really does have some teeth to it that 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 we may see some impact in the future? Um, well, certainly if any of these 13 people show up in the United States, uh, maybe. Yeah. Um, what I think the real question is, is are there other parts of the Mueller investigation that link up and tie to this? Yeah. Uh, in this document, it says that there were American citizens who either knowingly or unknowingly engaged uh, with the Russians. Um, the question is, can he bring a claim against any of those Americans? Can he bring yeah. a charge against them? Can he show that there was some kind of linkage between the Trump campaign universe um, and and any of these 13 individuals. That's the card uh, that we're sort of waiting to see to see drop. The other piece that's so powerful from this indictment is it makes it much harder for Trump or anyone else to shut this investigation down. Yeah. They have now found malfeasance by 13 Russians in the United States election. Um, and that is uh, is much less political uh, and therefore much harder uh, for Trump to try to stop. Well, and realistically, I mean, I guess there is a level where he could, but the, the blowback on it would be so, sig- e- exactly. so significant. That that there's no way he he realistically could. Great seeing you again, Bill. Thanks very much, Jen. As always, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.